Just, just so I can know how many of you are VeggieTale fans, just raise your hand if you have seen that film before. Oh my gosh. Well, as I understand it, that is the very first VeggieTale, and that is the 15th anniversary edition DVD, I'll let you know. So that means you guys have been watching VeggieTales for a long time. Well, uh, for those of you that may be new here, I'm Scott Stark. I'm one of the campus ministers. I'm going to share a little bit uh, from God's word with you this morning. Uh, and our series right now, as we try to wrap up this year, is about uh, having a childlike faith with a mature understanding. And the VeggieTales are helping us do that. Uh, and today we're looking at, again, the very first VeggieTales story put out, Daniel and the Lion's Den. What we want to do here is to kind of carve out a path, because it's not an easy road to walk of childlike faith. It's just deep, hopeful, joyful, fun-filled trust in God. And this mature understanding for who God is and what his word has to teach us and how do we walk faithfully into that. Sometimes we can fall onto one side or the other of that path into childlike faith and childlike understanding where we don't really think hard about who God is and what he calls us to. Or really mature faith and understanding where we just kind of get droning about our faith and everything's so serious and hard all the time. And, and somehow Daniel helps us to, to walk both and the veggie tales point us to that. And so we're going to continue looking at these this morning with this story uh, that's from Daniel chapter 6. As we do that, I'm going to invite you to uh, join me in prayer as we ask for God to open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear his word. Father, as we uh, come into this space now, we recognize your presence among us. We prayed and we said that we are waiting for you and we know that you're here. And so we pray as we come to your word that you would open up our ears so that we can hear you speak and you would open up our eyes so that we can see you clear, that you'd open up our minds so that we can understand your word and that you'd open up our hearts so that we can receive your love by the power of your spirit. We ask this in the name of our Savior Jesus, amen. Well, as we enter into the, the actual story in Daniel chapter 6, you need to know that something cataclysmic has just happened in the life of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is a young man who was ripped out of his homeland. His country had been defeated by a foreign army, and he was taken as a refugee into the land of Babylon. But he was a talented young man. And so as a refugee, he was awarded a scholarship uh, to the University of Babylon, full ride, all the education, all the room and board, plus beer money, right? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as last week. He got the full ride, but he's ripped out of his homeland, okay? He's, he walks in this tension of being a refugee and also being very talented and highly privileged in this space. And so upon graduation, Daniel is appointed to a local post in the administration of the Babylon Empire, but in a God-orchestrated event, Daniel is catapulted into life at the center of the empire and he becomes the chief advisor to the king. This talented refugee who was brought to Babylon against his will spends 30 plus years as the chief advisor to the king of Babylon. And when the emperor died, he continued to serve as advisor to multiple other kings after that. So that all totaled, Daniel spent 55 years in public service to Babylon by the time we get to this story. He's an old man. In his life as third-ranking man in the empire of Babylon, he is on the edge of retirement. And then one night, 
everything changes. See, the Persian army had been marching on Babylon. And one night, in a brilliant uh, military move, the Persian army was able to sneak into the great city of Babylon and sack it. They assassinate the current king, Belshazzar, and overnight, Daniel, who was third ranking in the Babylonian hierarchy, has to start from scratch. He survives another hostile takeover, just like he had survived the first one in Jerusalem. But here he is again, at the end of his career, having to prove himself again. That's where we step into this story in Daniel chapter 6. And it reads like this. It's also on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can look in it there too. But as we look for these connections between the veggie tales, the scriptures, and our life here, we start here with this story this morning. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The new king, Darius, who took over after the assassination of Balsazar, the new king from the new empire, notices something about Daniel. In fact, the phrase that in your NIV is uh, translated that he had such exceptional qualities, actually in the original language it says that Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and governors because an extraordinary spirit was in him. Is that awesome? At 70 years old, a foreign official who doesn't know anything about Daniel, doesn't know anything about God, notices that Daniel has the spirit of God living inside of him. Not because of his devotional life. King doesn't know anything about his devotional life. Not because he had done some great things for God in the past. All he had done was maybe hear some rumors about that. The king notices that Daniel has the spirit of God living in him because of the way Daniel goes about his work in the kingdom. And in fact, he is so impressed with the old man, Daniel, that he's ready to appoint him as chief administrator over the entire province of Babylon. So here's a question as we just look in this story and we imagine together and we wonder about what it means for our lives. Here's a question for you to wonder about. What would someone notice about the way you go about doing your work? Without saying, I read my Bible every day. Uh, I just went on this awesome spring break mission trip and we went and did this for God over there and it was awesome. You should have seen God at work. Without all of that kind of stuff, the stuff that we label as spiritual, what would someone who could only look at your work say about the Spirit of God living inside of you? If we were to ask your professor, what can you tell me about her? Would she say, oh, she's an excellent student. She comes to class on time. She is engaged. She participates. Her writing shows that she is deeply engaging the material. Uh, I wish that more of our students were like her. There's just, there's an exceptional spirit about her. 
If we were to ask your boss, what can you tell me about him? What would you say, how would you describe him as an employee? Would your boss say, he's a great employee. I wish more of my employees were just like him. Comes in on time, has a great attitude, does whatever's asked, is a team player, and actually cares about what the work that we're doing. Would your boss say that about you? This isn't about walking around with some fake grin on your face or being something that you're not. This is about approaching our lives and our work with such an attitude that it's evident that God's spirit lives in us simply by looking at our work. It's true for Daniel, and it makes us wonder, is it true for us? Well, not everyone is excited about Daniel advancing. And I know that some of you were wishing right now that we went and watched a little bit of that. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Daniel is going to be our boss. Right? Not everyone's excited about the advancement of spirit-filled people. Like, like us, Daniel lives in a highly competitive world. His peers don't like the idea of him being in charge. You can imagine the things that they said about Daniel, the, the, the three green onions sing one song, but I'm sure it was much uglier than that, right? Daniel's a brown noser. Nobody's as good as that. He's such a fake. But they can't seem to find anything to point at. They can't find something to say, see, king, this is why you shouldn't put Daniel in charge. So the text goes on to say in Daniel 6, consequently the supervisors and the satraps are trying to find some pretext against Daniel in connection with administrative matters. But they're unable to find any such damaging evidence because he was trustworthy and guilty of no negligence or corruption. So these men concluded, we won't find any pretext against this man Daniel unless it's in connection with the law of his God. Daniel's attitude about his work was such that it was evident that the Spirit of God lived in him. But the text also says that his work that he did, not just his attitude about it, but the quality of his work, was trustworthy, competent, and honest. Again, that didn't mean everybody liked him. But that wasn't Daniel's trajectory. He was aiming at being faithful to God in the midst of the empire. And truly, you can't be faithful to God and have everybody like you all the time. But even those who didn't like Daniel couldn't find something to accuse him of because his work has integrity, because he approaches it in a way that is trustworthy, honest, and competent. So from the story, the second question that comes for us as we reflect on what does this mean for our lives is does our work have that kind of integrity? I mean, if all someone can see is your daily work, what you do, what you produce in your classes, what you produce in your job, if that's all that someone can see about your life, will they draw that conclusion that you are trustworthy? and honest, 
and competent. So often I hear students talk about their classes and talk about jobs as if somehow those things were tangential to our faith. As if somehow they were a necessary evil to our faith. When God seems to be very interested in how we carry out our daily work and the faithfulness with which we do our daily tasks. The idea that our classwork or that our jobs are somehow tangential to our lives in Christ just doesn't play in Scripture. You'd never find that idea. God cares about the integrity of your papers, the quality of your preparation, the honesty that you carry with your, at work and to your boss. All of that matters to God. And here in Daniel's life, we see that God uses his everyday faithfulness to bring about his glory. Does God receive the glory for your daily work? That's something that Daniel makes us look at. Daniel, as a teenager, had to prove himself to a powerful king. Here again, at age 70-some years old, he has to prove himself to a new king. But he kept steady through that whole span. His life has integrity. And his peers knew it, even the ones that don't like him. And they decide to use that against him. See, living in integrity doesn't mean that all of a sudden all things work well, right? They take this new matter to the king. And in verse 6, we see that these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king. And they said, Make King Darius live forever. The royal administration, pretracts, satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown to the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree, put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Mede and the Persians, which cannot be changed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Let's just sit for a second and say, that's kind of weird to us that someone will make a law like that. Okay, that feels strange. But empires, the way empires go about their work is by controlling all facets of life. Right? In Nazi Germany, Hitler establishes the Reich Church and he puts a Nazi loyalist in charge of the church. This is just how empires work by controlling all parts of life. So for Darius to make a law that all prayers had to be mediated by him for the next 30 days is really smart. It says, who gives you blessing and who gives you curses in this new kingdom? I do. I mediate between you and God. That's what Darius says with this law. And so... They enact it. You know, this is also why um, early Christians were persecuted. 
It's not because inherently something was wrong with being Christian. It's because as Christians, they wouldn't pray to the emperor. Opposition to the law of the empire in this way is open sedition to say, I am not going through you to God. You don't decide what blessing and curses are in my life. That caused real problems for Daniel. And he's not naive to it. That's the funny part. He knows what's going on. The man's been in politics for 55 years. He's got political savvy. And he's got political capital. He could go to Darius and ask for amnesty. I mean, for crying out loud, Darius wants to appoint him as the chief administrator of the whole empire. Or at least that region of the empire. Darius wants to keep Daniel on staff. Daniel could begin to pray more quietly and secretly like the way some of us do when we go to, go to the uh, commons, right? Take out the cell phone and, God, please bless this food to my body and thank you for it. Amen. Okay, good. Right? Don't want anybody to see. Think we're weird. That's not what Daniel does. Upon hearing this law, he goes up it said, the text says, when Daniel learned of the decree, as it had been published, he went home. He went to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That's his great political plan. For 60 years, He'd been brought as a teenager, a teenage refugee to the University of Babylon. He's been serving there the whole time. He goes upstairs and does what he's done every single day. Open up his window, go out on the balcony, get down on his knees, and pray. You want to know the secret to being faithful to God in the middle of the empire? Three times a day, Daniel stopped working for the empire. He got down on his knees and he gave thanks to God. From the day he arrived in Babylon, there was a rhythm in Daniel's life of prayer. And every time he knelt down, he remembered the emperor is not God. The emperor does not hold my life in his hand. God does. And only God does. And three times a day, he remembered that. That doesn't mean everything went well for Daniel. In fact, we find out that as Daniel prayed, some folks were going to tell the king. And so, King Darius, having to follow the law that he just made, takes Daniel out to the lion's den. And he throws them in the pit. And as the door is sealed shut in front of him, Daniel looks around at a room of hungry lions. Now I just want to remind us, as I did last week with uh, the furnace, that while we may know the story, and if you don't know, I'll tell you, God miraculously saves Daniel from the mouth of the lions. And we tell this story to, to our kids and we celebrate God's miracle. Daniel didn't know that was going to happen. He's in, it's sealed, he looks around. Now what, God? 
Daniel didn't keep him out of the lion's den. Or God didn't keep Daniel out of the lion's den. He met him inside it. And he waited there with him all night. And at first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And then Daniel answers, this is great. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in your sight and in his. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. After pulling Daniel out of the cave, the king executes those who had deceived him. And he appoints Daniel to a new post. And the story ends with this. This is King Darius. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people shall fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The story begins with the empire saying, the people of God must submit to us. The story ends with the empire submitting to God. The empires of our world, whether they be governments or businesses or other kinds of administrations, they will always demand our loyalty and our glory. But if we, brothers and sisters, will have the spirit, the integrity, and the courage of Daniel. Who knows what God might do through us? This takes a little bit of a childlike imagination. Kids always ask the right questions on these things. What if? What if this happened? What if God still does stuff like he did with Daniel? What if God still wants to place his people in the centers of power of our world so that God receives the glory? Why can't God do this? What if on account of us living out our faith in such a way that it was evident in our attitudes that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And it was evident by work that is trustworthy and competent and honest that we are serving something beyond ourselves. What if God used that to bring the empires of our world to Jesus? What if? What if God wants to use you to do that? Doesn't mean you won't find yourself in the den of lions, okay? But wouldn't it be an amazing thing if right here at Grand Valley, again, this is crazy. This would never happen. But what if we as Christians lived out our faith in such an extraordinary way 
that Tejas wrote a note to all the administrators. And he said, I don't know what's going on with these Christian students on campus, but whatever it is, it's good. We need to make sure that more of these students are sticking around Grand Valley and that they're stepping into leadership at Grand Valley because whatever's going on with these students, it's good. I mean, that is crazy, right? That would never happen. Kind of like, kind of like a refugee would never become the chief administrator of the empire that, he con- that was conquered. That never happens. But what if it does? It starts with young, talented, able, faithful men and women who will stand for God who will have an attitude that declares that the Spirit of God lives in them, who will do their work in such a way that God receives the glory. What if God wants to use you to bring the empires of the world to Jesus? I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come up. Because we're going to step into... uh, into taking Holy Communion. You know, every time we come to the table for communion, we say yes to Jesus and no to all the empires of the world that call for our loyalty and our glory. Every time we take the bread, it is an act of sedition against the powers of our world to say only God has my life in his hands.